Studio mm. 5 is dark, apart from some very small winking orange lights spaced at regular intervals around the room. After a short while, the overhead lights flicker into life and we can see a collection of seats, each containing a figure that appears to be asleep, and above them, a panel with two lights. Each of the orange lights has a label marked LAVECON, and the other is blue but unlit, and says STUDIO. There is the sound of a motor spinning up, and when it reaches a steady tone, each of the seated figures jerks once, spasmodically, as their orange light is extinguished, the blue light sputters, and the figures look around the room and stretch as if they're awakening from a long sleep. It's nice to be back. I think I've got a bit dusty while we're away. I must say, it's much easier travelling back from Hollow Life, Con. I do miss waving goodbye to everyone, though. <laughs> It looks like I forgot to go to the toilet before we left on Friday. Do you have time to go before we start? Our mics are live. Good evening, everyone, from Studio 5 at Hutton Orbital. Yes, we're back in the usual broadcast booth. And things are ever so slowly returning to normal after last weekend. Say, the clean-up team have done a really good job while we've been away. They've even stopped the squeak on my chair. Oh, we can see out of the windows again. I've no idea what was growing on the inside of them, but it gave everything a distinctly green hue. If it wasn't for that enormous asp right outside the window, we'd have a clear view all the way down to Eden. What is the commander of that asp doing? He appears to be shaking his fist at us and making hand signals. Well, I don't recognise him. But he's got a rather pointy moustache, looks a little haggard, and his cape appears to have had a dreadful accident. I don't know. That doesn't look like galactic sign language. Hang on, I'll translate. It seems to be some form of pirate code. It says, I'd have kept Dunker's rest if it wasn't for you meddling kids. The next hand signal is one I don't recognise, but if I was playing charades... Hang on, Norma, did you see that? I think he's saying two words. First word sounds like chalk. Hmm, second word sounds like cough. Prof? Dof? Trof? Rukovashnikov? Always adding punctuation. You think that finger means exclamation mark? Ah, it's okay. I'm sending a reply. Are you sure that's the sign for for the mug? I mean, if you were to shake a mug by its handle that hard and fast, it might break. I think he gets the message. And on that note, we'd better catch up with the news. Perfect delivery sent for six as Poppy Pops parcel in post. Perfect pit stops and dastardly doings in the buckyball races. Pesky privateers grabbed by the fuzz. 
our fleet carrier is becoming camera shy. Ballcock cock up or stopcock broken. Brewer leaks confirmed. It's your age ellipse around this one, says Wheel. Bad floats away having overstayed in Dunkers. Losing big trouble for not shouting loud enough last week. And Norma's got a couple of big ones to show us. First, tonight, not all delivery companies are equal, and some are not more equal than others. Over in Colonia, one delivery firm, the Colonia Parcel Union, or CPU, bit off a little more than they could chew when one commander, Poppy, realised that she'd left on the Cloud Atlas and left her diamond back. Back. As everyone knows, a diamond back is a girl's best friend, and anxious not to be seen without it, Flossie asked the local contact at Rattray to wrap it up in brown paper, stick a stamp on it, and send it out as fast as possible to rendezvous with the Atlas, only 500 light-years from her current location. As the rather large parcel didn't fit through the postage slot, it was taken in by CPU on their guaranteed, signed-for delivery service, and being close to Colonia, the fee wasn't exorbitant. The delivery barge duly loaded it up and set off at speed on a same-day delivery. On arrival at the location of the Atlas, Flossie, or Poppy rather, wasn't <laughs> there. Nor was the Atlas. All that was there was a wake and a little beacon saying, Gone to next stop, please forward all mail. Looking down at the motto on the lapel of his very sharply pressed space delivery outfit, the agent read aloud the words, Neither war nor range nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Or at least that's what they're imagining. With the Atlas having engaged ludicrous speed and having, as the Americans say, gone to plaid, he shifted into some secret delivery boy kind of overdrive in an attempt to catch Poppy up, which was only 3,000 light years further along the route. At which point he obtained Flossie's autograph, grabbed a quick cuppa and looked at the return journey before setting out. Did he charge extra for the additional two and a half thousand light years? Did he even claim for the wear and tear on the delivery barge? Not a sausage. He didn't even chuckle at the destruction on the bridge that was related to Prophet Velen hitting the emergency stop to allow the delivery man to dock. It's a good thing that Velen was wearing his crash helmet at the time. Poppy, of course, was wearing her seatbelt, so the worst that she suffered was the view as Velen shot past her and into the computer console. We'd like to take this opportunity to applaud the delivery team over at the Colonia Parcel Union for their dedication. If only the delivery companies on Sol could be half as diligent, but then again, what do you expect from the Federation? The members of the Buckyball Racing Club, the association started in 3301 by Commander Electric Z, whose headquarters are in the Fullerene C60 system, never let the grass, or anything else for that matter, grow under their feet. 
well known for running Hutton-esque races that are the stuff of nightmares for the Galactic Insurance Services, with such events as time trials in both ships and SRVs, distance races, flying by and landing at dangerous and beautiful locations, the Buckyballers wouldn't let a little thing like Lavecon being recreated as a Hollow Me only event stop them from having their annual tournament at this unconventional convention. Covering the three days of Lavecon, time trials were held over a course that started and ended at a landing pad in Lave Station, and in between involved flying to and landing at Almagro Port, Riort, Diamond Landing, Gurney Slade, Patsaya Base, Hajin Heimach, and Clark Enterprise in Heheng. That does sound something like something Delroy would say. Checks were put in place to ensure that competitors didn't just hide behind an asteroid and sneak out when everyone else was returning, like they used to with cross-country running, and ship identities were checked to ensure there was no cheating, as some pilots switch ships more often than an F1 driver changes their tyres. Professor Pat Pending in the converter ship caused some confusion, and one ship that had running boards added as a ship, clip, ship kit flown by the anti-pirates mob was disqualified for having Tommy guns fitted to its small hard points. The favourite ships over the weekend decked out in an array of colours which would make Major General Noctivegas very happy and Fantheon very confused were Eagles and Imperial Couriers with Viper Mark III then Imperial Eagle. A mining themed ship piloted by the Slag Brothers, Rock and Gravel, attempted to win by making it go faster by hitting it with wooden clubs but were thwarted by the Creepy Coupe which seems to have been piloted by two Tharoids. Several of the pilots went round and round the course many times trying to better their scores, but eventually the winner in a sidewinder was Commander Shea Blackwood, and we totally discount spectator reports that they were sporting a large moustache and that their co-pilot went <laughs> as they shot past their rivals. The other places in the top 10 went to Commanders Darplade to 94, Aiken V, Sgur, Crank Larson, Sulu, Indoro Peira, Bob Dubrovnik, Osric, Ryko, and they have all promised us an interview once their dizziness settles down. Hutton authorities nabbed a number of ne'er-do-wells this week, thanks to a clever new approach to law enforcement. Rather than the traditional method of hunting down the pirates in Vipers, Pythons and Corvettes, risking expensive rebuys, they found an innovative way to get the pirates to come to them. Hutton Security cleverly sent targeted advertising to the inboxes of potential pirate perpetrators, offering deals they just couldn't resist. Half-price eye tests at opticians when iris styes are smiling, and a stock clearance of odd shoes at Elite Feet Shoe Store was all that it took for the reckless reprobates to come flocking onto the parade at Hutton Orbital looking for a bargain. Once inside, they were taken through to a consultation room where they underwent pirate confirmation tests, which entailed a quick count of eyes and or legs before being marched out the back door and transported to the Pillar of Fortitude. Book Hut on the lower rotunda refused to participate, saying that such a scheme would be catastrophic for their business model. Their ships, meanwhile, have been seized and will be auctioned with all proceeds going to the workers of Cubicle 3 Benevolent Fund and a new pool table for the staff room in the security office. So, 
If you fancy a cheap adder or an asp scout already fitted out for combat, get down to test tackles, ship chandlers and marine outfitters and put a bid in. All ships are adapted for disabled pilots and come with a free bottle of space rum. Honest. There are rumours that fleet carrier owners might be getting a little sensitive about the damage that's done to their custom paint jobs after a 500 light year jump and are trying to avoid the ribald jeers of street urchins by stopping anyone from getting a good look at them until they've had time for a touch-up or at least time to get their paint repaired. Reports have been coming in that pilots who are calmly awaiting the arrival of a fleet carrier at its destination find themselves unceremoniously thrown from their ship just as the carrier begins to emerge from hyperspace and that, the, the, and that by the time they return to the spot the fleet carrier has completed its exit and looks suspiciously as good as new. <laughs> Unsubstantiated tittle-tattle of the friend-of-a-friend variety has raised the possibility of a new type of limpet used solely for paint job repairs. We here at Hutton Orbital, do not set any great store by such gossip, and we find the notion of a group dedicated to the repairing of paint jobs called the Artwork Chimpanzees, because, of course, all volunteer groups are named after an animal. It's the law, apparently. To be tenuous, at best. Back on board the FTM Cloud Atlas, it appears that the Brewer Corporation's rush to deliver the high volumes of fleet carriers that people appear to want to park in, dro in droves around popular places has come a little unstuck due to a faulty parts scandal. Commanders throughout the galaxy have been reporting that their supplies of tritium slash tritium aren't going quite as far as they'd hoped with reports that either the NPCs boarding have been part of the Dastardly Don's Pirate Brigade, or possible even refugees from Sinbad the Bad's fart, and snuffling or siphling a smidge for themselves every jump, or there was a leak. It turns out that a floppy flange on a dodgy union was the culprit. Rather than spaceborne piracy, it's piracy of the cowboy kind with the supplier admitting that they'd borrowed one from the same stock as used in Cubicle 3 over at Hutton. Which explains the 16 tons that went missing every jump. The offending part has been duly patched, with some fast hardening space putty, and the remaining jumps have been completed without needing to put out an emergency signal for a refuel only one jump before home. The Pilots' Federation have confirmed that there will be an emergency patch crew setting out next Tuesday to do all uh, to do the rounds of all fleet carriers and stick a proverbial finger in the hole before grabbing the flange and tightening their nuts up from T via VT and onward to FT. If you're not sure what those acronyms mean, we can reveal that the T stands for tight. The other letters will leave to your imagination. In the ongoing saga of the Dark Wheel, or at least people who love the Dark Wheel and would like to become a member, please. They'll even go through the initiation ceremony and not complain about the bucket of custard and the flight suit full of jelly. Oh yes, 
They promised to go for their elite rank in CQC eventually. Honest. It appears that not only have they achieved the long for expansion, but gone straight into war with a new faction. With the political arm of the faction having set up station in Enian Wu, they picked a fight with the AG Lips Corporation for the right to stay in the system. One doesn't just pick a fight with the Dark Wheel. Well, not unless they started it first. They're employing known wheel tactics, including propaganda drops, misinformation, diversionary tactics, and of course, denying everything in their attempt to take charge. There are rumors, of course, that the political wing of the wheel don't actually have a plan as to where they're expanding to, but this one will do until we remember appears to be the order of service for the time being. With 54,999 systems left to choose from until they remember where they left their station and which one of them's actually Raxler, at this rate, it will take them until 5421 until they've conquered the galaxy, at which point they might reveal the location after all. There is fantastic news from Colonia, as it appears that Simbad the Bad has had his fingers prized from the prize, and in a surprise move, the 38 have managed to take Dunker's rest off him. With him having converted the factory over at the Biscuity base into an internment camp for people he doesn't like, and having been relishing the wails and screams that echo along the corridors as he wafts the smell of delicious baking to people that haven't touched a cookie in months, it was high time that he was evicted back to his airy fart and some proper people put in their place to run it. With Ed's 38 having come under concerted attack by forces loyal to Sinbad the ever so bad, it was always going to be hard to bring them back to the top, but a crack team of Crumblies were put onto the job and with the help of many locals, the 38 managed to divert one of Radio Sidewinder's broadcast satellites and hammer it directly into Sinbad's office. He wasn't there at the time. He was busy planning tax rises, cancelling the Hutton TV licence for the over-75s and issuing planning licences in return for brown envelopes stuffed with void opals. The effect? The dodgy forged paperwork complete with fake signature from his mum that meant he didn't have to reveal his tax returns for the last 20 years, was all burned to a crisp, including his document that meant he was in charge. <laughs> Radio Sidewinder's team managed to take temporary control of the system. The 38 breathed a sigh of relief and are organizing a polite handover of control in a, in a peaceful and socially distant ceremony over the next week. Many a pilot who has a bounty on their head, issued by Mr. The Bad, has now been able to dock at the Dunker's Rest, and they've begun placing orders from local fleet carriers for large shipments of flour, butter, sugar, and baking parchment. Meanwhile, Mr. The Bad was seen escaping in his asp, but his location is not currently known. 
having taken a beating in a second system in the area in the last week, there are many pilots asking if they can be the next one to lick the spoon. Congratulations to the whole team and to the truckers and paladins who have loaned their assistance to this endeavour. Now, everything's quiet in the bubble, isn't it? No disasters that require our attention. Of course not. But we'd better go and check with Lou, just in case. Now, let me see. Note to self, try not to sound patronising. What did we say last show? It's all gone a bit shit in Stein. That was it, wasn't it? And, a slight paraphrase, but I also said, if we don't increase our influence, there is a risk of getting into a pointless conflict. And I definitely said, grab Stein by the handle and boost the crap out of it. Now, I know a lot of you can see me, but I can't see you. If I could, I'd ask for a show of hands from those who boosted the crap out of Stein, and I don't think I'd see any, would I? What happened? Yes, we got into a pointless conflict. Now, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Currently, we're 3-1 down in the war. Basically, we have to win every day until it stops or we lose the system. If you could all get over to sign and store this shit out, that would be great. Otherwise, I'll tell Alvin, and yes, I will be naming names. Now, there were approximately three commanders working in Colonia, and as you've just heard, they managed to return the biscuit factory to its rightful owners, so I'm sure the thousands of pilots in the bubble can sort this mess out. Speaking of pilots in Colonia, we have an election in Tier, as usual. The rest of it's fine, so just shout hanky if you want any advice there. Over to Norma. As Flossie is busy preparing for the reading of the final episode of Miss Marbles, she promises to play the tune later, but I'll be talking about it here for her. Well, I'm sorry to report that despite my best efforts on Saturday, I was unable to force the Pilots Federation members that I was keeping under lock and key to produce any community goals or interstellar initiatives. I threatened them with dire consequences I even promised to boil them up, but they kept pointing to my combat ranking and unsuccessfully trying to hide their smirk behind their hands. So in the end, I was forced to let them go, but not without a special big hug from Fluffy. So once again, it's down to us, the real pilots of the galaxy, to create our own fun. And to that end, we have two CCCGs this week, both of a trade supplying fleet carriers. To celebrate 07073306, Lawrence Legion is pleased to announce a pilot-driven CG in the PRISM system. The system's primary export tantalum is depleted, and she only needs help to transition to an agrarian economy. Lawrence Legion fleet carrier Law Reconciliation LLL 40Z is in orbit above Xion and is facilitating the request for commodities needed to begin the process of transitioning the economy. The requested commodities are agri medicines, aquaponic systems, 
crop harvesters, land enrichment systems, water purifiers, and pilots who contribute will be rewarded at 300% galactic average market value for each commodity. The requested quantity per good is set at 3,000. And our second CCCG, the Anti-Xeno Initiative, has announced its intention to provide its flagship fleet carrier, the Astros, with an experimental paint designed to hide it from the Thargoids. The carrier is to be a spearhead for anti-Xeno operations and will act as a safe haven for pilots to restock and repair. To facilitate the completion of this project, the Anti-Xeno Initiative has placed an open order for the following items. 10,000 Thargoid Hearts 2,500 Meta-Alloys and 250 each of Thargoid Sensors Thargoid Probes Thargoid Links Thargoid Cyclops Tissue Samples Thargoid Basilisk Tissue Samples Thargoid Medusa Sipple Tissue Samples Thargoid Hydra Tissue Samples Thargoid Technology Samples Thargoid Biological Matter and Thargoid Resin Independent pilots are invited to deliver these items to the Astra's fleet carrier stationed in the Sterop 2 system Pilots will be compensated upon delivery the campaign begins on the 29th of June 3306 and will run until the 20th of August 3306. If the final target is met earlier than planned, the campaign will end immediately. Oh, and we're delighted to say that we've seen a little Willie at the orbital. He has finally arrived and photos of him have been circulating courtesy of the Major General, who is quite proud to be sharing his cockpit with his little Willie. very last part of This Other Eden, the story of Miss Marbles detailing the case of the pilfered porcelain, the taken tankards, cribbed china, missing mugs, stolen stoneware, or purloined pottery. The story so far, for anyone who inexplicably has not listened to the other five thrilling episodes, Miss Marbles prevented from presenting hut and mugs as prizes due to a theft, has chased halfway across the galaxy for clues, only to realise that the miscreant has probably not left the scene of the crime. And so she is on her way back to Hutton Orbital. Well, that was a different journey from last time. I'd managed to obtain passage, which sounds ruder than it was, on a fleet carrier. 
And not only did I have a chance to read any of my books, but my coffee was still hot when I arrived. Coffee. Coffee. That reminded me of something. As I wandered the corridors, sipping my NNR coffee with frothy azure milk and a shot of Duringa's truffle syrup, my mind wandered back. Back all the way to when this made up some kind of sense. And after all, a mystery wouldn't be a mystery without a deliberate misdirect in Chapter 1, would it? The coffee that the floor-mopping guy had given me. Was that it on top that I'd mistaken for chocolate and thus assumed as a cappuccino that had led me round the galaxy on a trail that only made sense if I was trying to draw a rude picture on EDSM? I recalled that it was some kind of cereal, and if you've forgotten that, dear reader, you should have paid more attention in episode one. But which? By the kind of coincidence that only occurs when you run into one person you're trying to avoid, or when the writer is desperate to get the end of a story, I smell the odour of bread being baked. Not just any kind of bread, but Russian bread. Of course, the grains had got onto the coffee when floor-mopping guy pulled it out because he had a pocket full of rye. So, if it wasn't a cappuccino, what was it? It had to be an Italian, maybe even a macchiato, and I remembered that it had been cold. I felt so stupid, it was staring me in the face all along. If only I hadn't rushed off at the beginning. Still, no sense crying over chilled milk. I still had to find the mugs. I started following the smell of the rye bread, for it's a well-known fact that rye bread is a favourite among pirates, due to the fact that it lasts so long, but can be contaminated with a mould called ergot, which can cause, cause hallucinations. Combine that with gut rot rum that they're fond of, and it's no wonder they're always looking for trouble. As I reached the end of the corridor, I could hear sizzling, and then I encountered the unmistakable smell of frying calamari. As far as I was concerned, that was the end of all doubt. Time to call in the cavalry and confront the misappropriating miscreant. I stepped into the room, ready to perform a citizen's, senior citizen's arrest. I knew the authorities would take some time to arrive. Ever had your sidewinder attacked in a so-called high-security system? But to my surprise, all I could see was floor-mopping guy. Surely he couldn't be our thief. He turned away, and so I was able to observe him from the shadows. And I noticed that he did not seem to have put on weight recently. And why did he have that silly moustache? Aspetto and unatimo. That wasn't the floor-mopping guy. He was using a phone, talking out loud for a start, his hands constantly gesturing and saying, if he asks for cheese on his fish again, it's a horse's head in the bed for him. This was none other than the legendary head of the Camorra Kalan, the dastardly Don Antonacci. What was he doing here? 
as he still had his back to me, I crept out and wound my knitting around his knee-length leather boots before standing up and shouting, Don Ancinacci, you are under arrest! The silly boy tried to run, tripped over my reverse stockinette, fell headlong and lay there looking at the feet of the system patrolman who just arrived, late to the party as usual. It was the smell of your dinner that gave you away, pirate, I said triumphantly. I'd have, forgot, I'd have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky squids, he replied sadly. Without your mugs to strive for, your hut knights would have lost heart and we pirates would, could have taken our rightful place at the head of the galaxy. Searching the room revealed a cupboard containing one flormuffin guy, minus his uniform and all of his other clothes as well. I was quite distracted by the sight of his muscles. It looks as though he was hiding several ferrets under a blanket, and his tendons rippled. He turned to face me, and oh my, that reminded me. Where was his long-handled mop? Desperate to look away, I spotted a pile of hot mugs in the corner, but one or two didn't look completely empty. Flomping guy mimed, sorry. I guess he was in that cupboard for longer than I thought. Still, never mind, they'll wash. The prize-giving at the reconvened fete went off without a hitch, and Beetlejuice won the prize for best watercolour painting of a Thargoid wearing a kilt. As we all knew she would, but I personally doubted that you'd see any Thargoid life in real life in such a large skin do under his kilt, especially if it was cold. The best part of travelling is coming home, so they say, and I was very happy to get back to the ex-convent of St Mary's in Mead installation, and as my friend offered to make me a cup of fusion tea, I heard the harbour driver shout from the front door just before it closed, I've unloaded all of the luggage, these are Miss Marble's final cases. That was... This Other Eden, being the casebook of Miss Marbles and the story of the pilfered porcelain. Miss Marbles was played by Commander Flossie. The narrator was Commander Flossie, and the other parts were played by Commander Flossie. Incidental sounds were made by the Hutton Orbital players and saved for blackmail purposes, and the whole thing was an overblown production for Hutton Orbital Radio. Those of you with Alvin acute hearing will undoubtedly have noticed that the six episodes of This Other Eden contained all 18 titles of the Miss Marple series of books by the grand dame of crime fiction, Agatha Christie, hidden in the story in places that varied from the very obvious to the very desperate. We're offering a reward of a Hutton decal for the first person to identify all 18 references and to tell us where they were hidden. If you've got nothing better to do, why not give the story another listen? as we'll be publishing an omnibus edition on media.forthemug.com shortly. Then when you've discovered them and groaned over the appalling puns and weak setups, then please email itookpartathuttonorbital.com with your answers. Remember, nothing says for the mug more than your very own Hutton decal on your ships and SRVs. Flossy told you what to do. Good evening. This is Amelia Hook of the Gullnet Food Digest. 
I try the most dangerous foods in the galaxy, so you don't have to. We're breaking open the celebratory hampers and nibbling on a pair of the rarest luxury goods in the galaxy. Chi Eridani Marine Paste, the gentleman's gentleman relish, and Isuzuku Caviar. The first thing I can say after opening both of these over at the Galnet Kitchen is that there's a distinctly fishy aroma in the air. Usually nestled amongst mock cheese rounds, Real cheese having been declared extinct after the 31st century airborne antibiotic accident killed off all of the galaxy's lactobacillus acidophilus, the original target was the rather less tasty and more deadly Pasturella pestis. But due to a mix-up in the lab, all cheese got wiped out. And just above a tiny jar of Naritas berries in syrup. Both of them come packaged in the obligatory wicker basket and straw combination that bosses like sending to employees at Christmas. Back to the cause of this pungent aroma. First, the marine plate paste. The recipe for this on old earth used anchovies as a base ingredient, but with them eaten to extinction by humanity, centuries passed without a suitable replacement. Step forward, Chi Eridani, with seeds so abundant in life, and particularly one very salty and incredibly savory little zooplankton, a perfect replacement to have on your blini. Or eaten off a bit of hot buttered crumpet, was found. A small number of fishing vessels each year are allowed to land a catch of these tiny creatures. And with the small time slice, when they swarm in in huge blooms and are in their mature stage and therefore edible, the trollers set their nets to catch just about anything from phytoplankton, giving it the fishy taste, to zooplankton, which adds most of the umami of savory base notes, and of course, any passing fish, mammals, Jacques Cousteau wannabes, and the odd kraken. All these are added to the processing plant, which condenses the ingredients into a small number of jars of very fine paste. From there to the table, and from the table to my palate. It's fishy. Really, really fishy. And the salt content is enough to have even the most hardy imperial billionaire reaching for their non-specific sparkling wine. Having washed that down, it's time to try the caviar. Once again, served on small pieces of toasted bread, or on occasion just tucked into with a tiny silver spoon. Isuzuku caviar is actually an earth original. No fakery here. But the reason they're so rare is because the last remaining sturgeon eggs in the galaxy were purchased for an undisclosed sum, rumored to be enough to buy your own fleet carrier, and a new breeding colony was set up in the waters of Isuzuku. The fish thrived. And luckily for anyone hosting a 1970s-style middle-class dinner party complete with bottles of ancient blue nun, this morsel can now be enjoyed throughout the galaxy. The texture isn't to everyone's taste. If you forget that you're sticking spoonfuls of fish eggs in your mouth, and 
that it's definitely not about as palatable as runny tapioca, then you can enjoy the flavor. It is worth 9,000 credits a ton at source, or many times that further from a Suzuku. I'm not convinced. Is it something every pilot should try at least once? Yes, they should. This is pain. So you might ask where the danger was this week. My doctor has informed me that after just two days of sampling these, my blood pressure has suffered a dangerous salt hit. There's a suspicion that Chi Eridani blowfish livers might be included in the paste, and my lips have gone even more crinkly than the last time I tried those salt and vinegar chipsticks at the bar. This has been Amelia Hawke, in dire need of some rehydration and a shower to get rid of this smell. Reporting for the Golnet Food Digest. We try everything fishy, just in case you don't like it. Has anyone got a mint breath? Spaceways. Back again for this week's Hutton Top Trucker. How do we keep up with your shenanigans while you tootle around in the Milky Way? Why, we install this little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as replacing the siding on your house in hot, hot Texas weather. Nope. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the explorers, jumping around like them bullfrogs down by the creek, Commander Bowl of Petunias took the lead this week and jumped 55,324 light years. Commander Millstone Barn had fun with his trigger finger again this week, turning the despicably dirty do-batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust. He racked up over 50 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships. Running missions faster than Vantillon on the way to a paying job Commander Cecil B. Trumpenden took the lead and tallied up an outstanding 
3,309 mission points this week. Truth be told, it's because he couldn't get transport and drink the free gin anymore. So instead, he denigrated himself to actual work to pay full retail for his gin this week. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Operation IDA hauled over 92,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. Commander Christopher Hankey bought a heck of a lot more, and we've now learned that all those extra tons are being hoarded on the Hankey Hoarder Fleet Carrier. You need toilet paper? He'll sell it to you at a premium. Driving the Hutton Short Bus this week, Commander Vontaeon delivered 2,193 passengers around the galaxy, offering a free bottle of Centauri Megagen to each one. He made sure not to pick up Cecil, which is why Cecil was busy with missions instead. Now, some of y'all thought you could take a shortcut on the old Hutton Run. Well, that don't sit well with Buck. The Hutton Run is a time-honored challenge to jump into the system at Alpha Centauri and travel that .22 light year straight out to Hutton Orbit. Much like other race challenges in the past, such as the Bandit Snowman running 400 cases of Coors beer from Texarkana back to Atlanta, Cannonball Run, zooming across the United States from New York City to Los Angeles, you don't get to use shortcuts. What fun would it have been if one of them simply chartered a flight? Nope, ain't no challenge in that. Lacon Spaceways employs only the finest programmers and time trackers, though. And those who thought they'd sneak their way into the top echelon have simply disappeared instead. Many thanks especially to Antarius Fusion for his tireless work on the Hutton Helper and keeping the sanctity of the run and all of our other challenges. Thus, for this week, I'll only mention that our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is still held by Commander Brett Riverboat in one hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. That time can be beat, but are you willing to do it the honest way and light up the sky? If so, download the Hutton Helper and get to flying, Commander. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways, the only ships in the galaxy what come with a book of dirty limericks. Speaking of which, there once was a young man from Brighton who thought he'd at last found a titan. He said, oh my love, it fits like a glove, said she, but you're not in the writing. For the mug! For the mug. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Everybody's buggered off now, so why don't you bugger off too? 
Night-night.